I've titled today's message, The Effectiveness of the Gospel. And uh, we're going to finish off the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians this morning. Some time ago, an 18-year-old girl from Washington State attended a worship service. For the first time in her life, she heard the gospel message. The following Tuesday, the members of the church received a letter from her. And this is what it said. Last Sunday, dear church members, last Sunday I attended your church and I heard the preacher. In the sermon, the preacher said that all men have sinned and rebelled against God. Because of their rebellion and disobedience, they all face eternal damnation and separation from God. But then he also said God loves man and sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to redeem men from their sins, and that all those who believe in him would go to heaven and live with God eternally. My parents recently died in rapid succession. I know they did not believe in Jesus Christ, whom you call the Savior of the world. If what you believe is true, they're damned. You compel me to believe that either the message is true, that you yourselves don't believe this message, or that you don't care. You see, we only live three blocks from your church, and no one ever told us. And this story, even though it may be fictional, it may be true, um, it's, it's sad. It really is. And what I'll be sharing with you today is the importance of the gospel and how it's effective and how you can effectively share the gospel. Now, before I go there, if you remember last week, we saw one of the reasons why Paul was enthusiastically thankful. He was, he was happy with the, church, with the church in Thessalonica. Well, in our passage today, he's going to give a few other reasons why he uh, felt the way he did for them. But as I said, our focus will be how the gospel message that he, Silas, and, or Silvanus, and Timothy, how that gospel that they preached was effective and life-changing. So if you're sitting here this morning or if you're watching and listening to this message, whether it's live or later on, and you just wanted to know how you can be more effective, how the message that you share about Jesus Christ can be more effective, well, today's message will tell you how. Not just, well, individually as a Christian and also corporately as a church, a local church here, this church body, and also how the worldwide church can be more effective in sharing the gospel. So before I read today's passage, let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us through his word. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you have us all here. We are, I am thankful for those watching and listening. I pray that your word will go out powerfully, that it will change lives and hearts. And Lord, I, I 
pray that relationships will be healed and, and Lord, addictions will be removed. Healings will take place, Lord. I pray that you will just move powerfully this morning. I know you have a message here for everyone, Lord, and, and there's a reason and purpose why, why you have us all here and why you have uh, those people watching, listening at this very moment. Lord, we desire to hear from you now. Lord, we want to be better witnesses, Lord. We want to be better messengers of this gospel message that you gave us the good news of Jesus Christ. So teach us now, Lord, open our hearts and minds to receive your word. Lord, and, and just remove all distractions. Have you fall in love with you all over again through your word. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, 1 Thessalonians. Last week I ended up in, I ended in verse 4, and so we'll be picking up today in verse 5. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. I'm going to back up just a bit and begin actually in verse 4. The Word of God says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you. Because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power in the Holy Spirit and with full assurance. You know how we lived among you for your benefit, and you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord when, in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed a message with joy from the Holy Spirit. As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achia, for the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we do not need to say anything. I'll stop there. After affirming his confidence in the fact that the believers in Thessalonica had been chosen by God. Paul presents the first reason that he believes this. Because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power. In saying this, I want you to keep a couple things in mind. First, he's not implying that the message that he, Sylvanus, and Timothy, that the word he gave them was different from all the other apostles. The fact is, the contents were the same. The difference was the messengers. And secondly, the gospel they preached wasn't a matter of carefully chosen words, but rather a thoughtful message accompanied by divine confirmation and human, human cooperation. In other words, the message worked in their lives with power or supernatural energy, producing conviction of sin, 
repentance, and conversion. This supernatural power was produced by none other than the Holy Spirit. And not only was it preached with full assurance by Paul, but it was also received by the Thessalonians with full assurance. This, my friends, is how to tell if the good news of Jesus Christ is being shared by you or by others effectively. That message, the good news of Jesus Christ, will have the supernatural power to change minds, hearts, and lives. That message's power will be energized, empowered again by the Holy Spirit to bring brokenness and conviction into the hearts of those hearing it. And it will be a message that is preached confidently and with certainty that it will radically change people's lives. When this happens in this way, I honestly believe that any person that hears it and accepts it with full assurance will be drawn, will be drawn to the cross and be saved. Thus, when sharing the gospel, when sharing the good news of Jesus, it's less about how persuasive you are or how much you think you know. It's really more about how much you believe it yourself. When you have that full assurance, when you're sharing it with conviction, you truly, truly do believe it. You will find yourself echoing the words that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. So, you see, there's no better evangelist in the world than the Holy Spirit. I like how one pastor put it. Therefore, since salvation is a work of the Lord, I can draw these simple conclusions. First, I must share the gospel with passion. Yet when it comes to conversion, I need to leave that matter in God's hands because that's a work that only He can accomplish. Second, my responsibility isn't to save people but rather my responsibility is to faithfully share the good news. Therefore, I don't need to resort to gimmicks or manipulation, but rather prayer and trust in God's sovereignty. It's not the skill of the proclaimer, 
the packaging of the message or the techniques used to proclaim it, but the unadulterated word and trust in the Holy Spirit. We need clarity, not cleverness. Third, once I share the faith, I can be at peace regarding the eternal outcome of souls. And I am thankful for that. Now, there's one other factor that contributed to the Thessalonians' assurance in the gospel message, the character of the messengers. See, not only were the Thessalonians able to hear the proclamation and see it with power, see its power, they were also able to observe how the message was lived. They could see the concern of the, those evangelists, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Their concern was for the well-being of the Thessalonians themselves. He says it right there, for your sake, and not for the glory of the messengers. Paul, Silas, and Timothy didn't minister among the Thessalonians to receive benefits from them, but rather preached for the benefit of the hearers. Here's how I picture it. If the gospel message was a coin, on one side would be the preaching of the gospel, and on the other side would be a living a life a life that is consistent with the gospel. In other words, walking the talk. See, here's the thing. The best sermon is a holy life. It says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now again, the idea here is in perfection. We're not, on this side of heaven, we're not going to be perfect. You're not going to be perfect. But we strive as Christians, as believers, to be obedient, to live a life of obedience. The Lord is convicting you of sin. You repent of it. If you're being tempted, recognize it and run away from it. If something negative is going on in your life, come to the Lord. Put it on his lap. Let him know. Give your concerns, your worries to him. He knows them, but he wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from his child. But here's the thing again. Live 
a life where others can see you and, and, and notice that there's a difference, there's something different about you, that you're not falling into the same behaviors as everyone else, that you're separate. It's that process of sanctification, that process of being made more and more into the image of Christ. How does that, what does that look like? How does, what kind of life does that look like? Well, we're told in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. It's the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. And these are some of the, the fruits of that. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When people see those things in your life, you're going to see something's different about you. And then that's, not only will it open the door for you to share the good news, share the gospel, but also I just think people will want to have that kind of life as well. The fruit of the Spirit. Now, I'll come back to these things in a bit, but in verses 6 and 7, Paul informs the Thessalonian Christians of another effect of the gospel message, another effect that it had on them. These new believers not only accepted the message and the messengers, but they also imitated their lives. And as a result, this led to severe persecution. And let me make a quick note regarding this. It's important that young Christians, and what I mean by young Christians, I'm not talking about little kids, but as a young believer, it's important to respect spiritual leadership and to learn from mature believers. Go out there, if you are a young believer, and seek those mature believers to, to glean from. And you mature believers need to go out also there among the brethren here, among the believers here in, at the local church here, but also outside and disciple newer believers. Spend time with them. Show them how to pray, how to read, how to look for certain things in the gospel, how to find commentaries, how to, you know, how to discern good doctrine from bad doctrine. Younger believers need that. But again, newer believers, they need to also respect spiritual leadership. Just as a newborn baby needs a family, so a newborn Christian needs the local church. Let me repeat that. A newborn believer needs 
They need the local church and the leaders that are there. Yes, I, I know that there's a lot of bad leaders and a lot of good churches and a lot of bad churches that have good leaders. You need to go and be a part of a fellowship. You need to fall under the leadership of those leaders and, and, and you know, if, if after a while you just don't want to follow them anymore, that's fine, but it doesn't mean to give up. Find a church, a body of believers that you can respect the leadership, even if you don't necessarily agree with them or maybe even like them very much. It's still possible to follow a good leader even if you don't like them much. It says in, it says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, Obey them that have the spiritual rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch over your souls. See, it's not enough for mature believers to win souls. We must also watch, watch, my friends, for souls and encourage new Christians to obey God's word. It also says in verse 6 that they suffered for Christ in turning from idols to serve God. These believers angered their friends, and their relatives. And this led to persecution. No doubt some of them maybe even lost their jobs because of their new faith. Just as Jewish unbelievers persecuted the believers in Judea, so the Gentile unbelievers persecuted the Thessalonian believers. Christian brothers and sisters, Faith is always tested, and persecution is one of those tests. Furthermore, in verse 7, Paul says that they encouraged other churches. Christians either encourage or discourage each other. This principle applies also to churches. Paul used the churches in Macedonia as a stimulus for the Corinthian church to give to the missionary offering. Even though they were new believers, the Thessalonians set a good example that encouraged the surrounding assemblies. Churches, and here's another important point, point. churches must never compete with one another in a worldly manner. But they can provoke unto love and to good works. I'm not here, this church isn't here to compete with any other church in town. I'm not competing with any other Calvary chapel that's out there. I'm not here to you know, gain and, you know, be more popular than they are or 
or even be bigger than some of the big churches here in town. But I will challenge, I will provoke unto good works, unto love and to do good works. must do that as a church must never compete with one another so as you can see in every way the church at Thessalonica was exemplary the secret was found in their faith hope and love for these are the spiritual motivators of the Christian life now in verse 8 Paul tells of the church of yet another effect of the gospel message. The Thessalonian saints became an example to all believers. The transformation of of the Thessalonians was so great that the word went out concerning how they responded to Paul and his associates. As 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 he mentioned, It went throughout Macedonia and Achaia and even beyond. See, Paul didn't have to tell others about the Thessalonians. He didn't have to go out there and brag about them. When Paul would arrive at some city, the people would have already heard about the Thessalonians and their response to Paul's preaching. I would love that as a church here. Wouldn't you like that as well? Wouldn't you love that as well, that when people are mentioning, or, you know, we do hear about others mentioning Fresh Vision Calvary Chapel, that it's known as a gospel-preaching church, that others have heard about it, I mean, that would be great. We would be known by our love, our compassion, our, you know, being tight with one another, but also just sharing the gospel. That's why, that's one of the reasons why after every message, I share the gospel. I believe it's one of the most important things that needs to be done in the pulpit. The gospel must be preached. I'm not bagging on any churches that don't do that. Maybe they have a special time and day and service that they will do that. Maybe they have an outreach. But me, before I planted this church, it was, I, it was something that was in my heart. Whenever I get the opportunity, whenever I get the time, even if I have to go over and it, gets, it goes a little longer, the gospel must be preached. I believe that it's the responsibility and the privilege of each local church to share the message of salvation with the lost world. At the end of each of the four Gospels and at the beginning of the book of Acts, we are commi- there are commissions for the, churches, for the churches to obey. There are, my friends, there are a lot of churches out there who 
They do. They leave it up to those big, well-known, famous evangelists. Or maybe some parachurch organizations to do the witnessing and the soul winning. But in the New Testament, the entire congregation was involved in sharing the good news. And examples of, of that are in Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 47, and Acts chapter 5, verse 42. In a survey of church growth, indicated, indicated that 70 to 80 percent of a church growth, of a church's growth, is a result of friends witnessing to friends and relatives witnessing to relatives. So, while door-to-door -door evangelism and other, method, other methods of outreach, although they help, the personal contact brings the harvest. But here's the thing. Election and evangelism, they go together. I spoke on election last week, and as I've been, you know, this week I've been talking, hitting up evangelism, but they, they, they both go together. The person who says, God will save those he wants to save, he doesn't need my help, understands neither election nor evangelism. In the Bible, election always involves responsibility. God chose Israel and made them an elect nation so that they might witness to the Gentiles. In the same way, God has chosen the church that we might be, we might be witnesses today. In fact, the fact that we are God's elect people does not excuse us from the task of evangelism. We're commissioned, you're commissioned. Share the gospel. Go out there and preach the good news. Share the good news. Again, it doesn't excuse us from the task of evangelism being elect. On the contrary, the doctrine of election is one of the greatest encouragements to evangelism. Paul's experience at Corinth is a perfect illustration of this. Corinth was a wicked city, and it wasn't easy to start a church there. The people were godless sinners, but Paul Paul preached the word faithfully. When persecution arose from the Jewish unbelievers, Paul moved from the synagogue to the house of justice. Then the Lord encouraged Paul in Acts chapter 18, verses 9 and 10. Don't be afraid, but keep on speaking and don't be silent, for I am with you and no one will lay a hand on you or hurt you because I have many people in this city. The fact that God had his elect in Corinth encouraged Paul to remain there 
for over a year and a half. Now, here's the thing, though, too. If salvation, if it was the work of man, we would have to fight. We would have, we would have every right to be discouraged and quit. But salvation is the work of God. And he uses people to call out his elect. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, He called you by our gospel. See, the same God who ordains the end, the salvation of the lost, also ordains the means to the end, the preaching of the gospel. There's no conflict between divine sovereignty and human responsibility, even though cannot reconcile the two. America, the United States, we need more churches today where people are so enthusiastic to share the message of salvation with others. About 2.4 billion people in our world that have, have no visible witness of the gospel in their midst or no church body. In spite of the outreach of the internet, television, the printing press, we are losing ground on reaching the lost. So let me ask you, are you an enthusiastic Christian? As a church, I want us to be enthusiastic about witnessing, about sharing the gospel. Again, the most powerful message is your testimony. Your testimony can lead to the gospel I, I don't mind telling people that I was once an alcoholic. I struggled with alcohol. I tell them that the Lord rescued me. I surrendered my life to the Lord. Oh, what do you mean you were surrendered? Yeah. I surrendered my heart and my life to the Lord, and He rescued me. It's over now, over 12 years. Haven't had a drink. And again, and it goes from there, and I just say, you know what? I trust in the Lord because he saved me. What do you mean he saved you? He died on the cross for my sins. And share the gospel from there. But again, do you see that testimony? What God did in your life, how powerful it can be? want you to be enthusiastic. If you truly love the Lord and really understand how he saved you, what he did for you on the cross, nothing else, nothing else in this world will matter to you. Yeah, you know, there's important things. You got to pay bills and you got to love, you gotta take care of your family and you got to work and all that stuff. Yeah. But 
All that is secondary. You don't want to share the God. You don't want to see your worst enemy go to hell. If you're wishing hell on people, there's something going on there. Your heart isn't right. Jesus, in no way did he want anyone to go to hell. Even those he disagreed with and those that wanted to kill him, those who were shouting, crucify him. As he was looking down on the cross, what do you say? God, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Friends, the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ. Share it with those that you love, with those that you hate. Everybody has a platform. What are you using your platform for? What are you promoting? Are you praying for your enemies? If Let's say, think of a the politician you hate the most. If he stood, was standing right in front of you, would you share the gospel of Jesus Christ to him or her? Or would you start berating them because of their political stance? If that homosexual or that transsexual is standing right in front of you, would you share the gospel of Jesus Christ and look past their, what they do and what they look like? Keep in mind again, all the sins that you committed, every single thing that you did against, and, against God and he forgave you. And he saved you. He can save that person, those people, those politicians, those group of people, those, those groups of people that maybe are in a different religion or a different group. He died for them too. Some congregations pride themselves on the way they consistently proclaim the gospel but they undercut their witness by failing to live it out as well. Others say evangelize by the way, uh, others say they evangelize by the way they live the gospel, but they undercut their witness by failing to identify what it is they believe in and live for. Here, it's not a matter of either or, but of both and. The Thessalonians are our model in this regard. They were sharing both the good news about Jesus Christ and also demonstrating the impact of that good news in their own lives. As John R. Stott, John Stott, Stott notes, no church can spread the gospel with any degree of integrity, let alone in credibility unless it has been visibly changed by the gospel it preaches. 
At the same time, a congregation that claims that living the gospel excuses them from needing to proclaim it verbally runs the risk of being confused with other non-Christian groups that have similar lifestyles, such as the Mormons. As, you guys remember the Heaven's Gate cult? As the Heaven's Gate cult mass suicide at Easter 1997 revealed our neighbors, for that is what uh, those people who came from ordinary backgrounds and states across the United States were, are desperate for hope. So desperate that they're willing to believe virtually anything in order to get it. We who have found real hope, you, believer, you, my Christian brother and sister, who have found real hope in Jesus, must, you must share that hope with our desperately seeking neighbors, both by what we say and how we live. There was something else, one more thing about the way the Thessalonians responded to the gospel. And if you still have your Bibles open, I'll share that with you now. We'll read about that now. It's in the final two verses of chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. For they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Church, the gospel not only proclaimed Jesus as the promised Messiah, it also bore witness to a saving, sacrificial death on the cross of, of Calvary and to his resurrection from the dead. And thus the gospel promised not only salvation from sin, but a glorious future for all eternity at the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thessalonians embraced the hope of heaven and Christ's glorious return to, to condemn the wicked and to reward the righteous. Now, two aspects, two aspects of the Lord's return must be distinguished. First, Jesus Christ will come in the air for his church. When we get to chapter 4, we'll read about that. This will usher in a period of the tribulation on the earth. We here at the church, at this church, believe that the church will be raptured first, and then the tribulation will begin. At the close of this period, He, our Lord Jesus, will return to earth with His church, defeat His enemies, and then set up his kingdom. 
the word translated wait in verse 10 means to await someone with patience and confidence expectantly. Thus, church, waiting involves activity and endurance. Some of the believers in Thessalonica quit their work and became idle busybodies, arguing, debating that the Lord was coming soon. I believe that too. To this day, I still believe that the Lord is coming too. I will, you'll probably hear me say it, you've probably heard me say it, and I will say it very often that we're one day closer today than we were yesterday. I do believe He's coming soon. But if we really believe that the Lord is coming, we will prove our faith by keeping busy and obeying the Word. Keeping busy by going out there and sharing the good news and living a life of obedience. Living a life that reflects what we see in the Bible. Seeing Jesus as our example and living and, and living by his example. Our Lord's parable of the ten minas in Luke chapter 19 teaches us that we must occupy, be busy in this case, in, uh, and be busy uh, in this case, invest the money till he returns. As Christians, we're waiting for Jesus Christ. And he may return at any time. He may return by the time we're done with this message. He may return by the time you get home today. He may return right before that special occasion that you've been waiting for your entire life happens. He may return even after you breathe your last breath, but he will return. And it will happen soon and at any time. We're not waiting for any signs. And I'm not going to, I won't be here. I, I mean, I won't stand here and give you dates and give you my theories on when he'll return. But I will tell you this. I'm going to be waiting. I'm going to be waiting for the Savior, and so should you. We are waiting for the redemption of the body and the hope of righteousness. When Jesus Christ returns, we shall receive new bodies, and we will be like Him. He will take us to the, to, uh, the home He has prepared and he will reward us. He will reward you for the service you have given him. For the service uh, given in his name. If we want to be a church that truly lives 
an expectation of seeing Jesus Christ at any time. And we need to be vibrant. We need to be a vibrant and victorious group of people. You see, expecting the Lord's return is, it ought to be a great motivation for soul winning. It ought to push you and move you to go out there and to lead people to the cross. But it's also great motivation. Not only is it great motivation for soul winning, but it also gives us stability. It gives us stability. It's a wonderful comfort in sorrow and a great encouragement for godly living. It's tragic when churches forget this wonderful doctrine. But it's even more tragic when churches believe it and preach it, but don't practice it. Friends, in this chapter, as I close it up and, and tell you what we learned here, Paul remembered how this church was born. He mentions it there in verse 3, and he gave thanks for their spiritual characteristics. He was thankful that they were elect, exemplary, enthusiastic, and expectant. But churches, as you all know, as I talked about last week, are made up of individuals. When you and I speak of the church, we must never say they. We must, or we should say we. We, my friends, my fellow believer, my Christian brother and sister, we are the church. This means that if you and I ha <clears throat> have these spiritual, or spiritual uh, characteristics, our church will become what God wants it to become. The result will be the winning of the lost and more importantly, the glorifying of the Lord. What every church should be is what every Christian should be. Elect, born again, exemplary, imitating the right people, enthusiastic, sharing the gospel with others, and expectant, daily, daily looking for Jesus Christ to return. I want that for our church. As we grow in size, I want those that have been here the longest to be that example to those that are just coming Maybe those that are coming from churches that just have been dead for a long time, that aren't really living out the gospel. I want them to see that we're a church that loves and, and, and is enthusiastic about sharing the good news of Jesus. As I normally do, as all of you no, you've been with us for a while. I now want to share the gospel message with those that are watching, listening, that maybe never have heard it. God's 
only begotten son came to this earth as a human being, as a, as a baby, a child. He grew and grew and he experienced all the same emotions that we all did growing up. And Jesus was called. He went out and shared the good news. People hated him. He didn't do no wrong. He never sinned. And yet people were trying to find something on him. Well, moving ahead in the story, he was later betrayed by someone that he loved and handed over. Handed over to the authorities where he was beaten, where he was tortured, and where he was nailed on a cross. And there he hung on that cross until he breathed his last, until he said, it is finished. All your sins, past, present, and future, can be forgiven. He died on the cross for those sins, to forgive you, to make you clean. All you have to do is come there and ask him to forgive you. Confess with your mouth, he is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Well, Lord Jesus was, he died and rose three days later. And after some time here on earth, he ascended up to heaven and is now sitting at the right hand of God interceding for us, for you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to be the Lord of your life. If you're ready today, right now, to come to him and to be forgiven, to be a child of God, to be born again, I'm going to lead you in a prayer to do that. But I want you to pray with all sincerity, with all your heart. This isn't a, a ticket to get out of jail. No, he knows whether you're praying it sincerely or not. And it will be reflected by the change, change in life, the change in decisions and the choices you make. But, again, if you're ready to do that, wherever you're at, I want you to close your eyes. Bow your head with all your heart. Pray this. Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. And I ask you to please forgive me. I now believe that you died for my sins and that you rose from the dead. And I turn from my sins. I repent of them and 
confess you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for saving me. I ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit so that he may help guide me and instruct me and teach me in my new born-again life. In your name, amen. If you pray that, please reach out to us. We want to hear your story and we want to help you in your next steps of your Christian walk. Pray you have uh, an amazing week with your friends and family. Wherever you're at, be the salt and light and you know, be a blessing to others. Until next week, we love you. Goodbye. Thank you so much for visiting us here at Fresh Vision Calvary Chapel. We hope you were blessed by Pastor Angel's message. For more information about Fresh Vision Calvary Chapel, such as our service time or how to get connected, please visit our website at fvccelp.com. If the Lord is leading you to give to the ministry of Fresh Vision Calvary Chapel, there's a PayPal link in the video description below. Once again, thank you so much for visiting us here at Fresh Vision Calvary Chapel. We hope to see you again soon.